Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel. Back in the Old Testament, we're going to deal with David. And I've titled tonight's message in my notes, David the Man After God's Own Heart. Last week, we talked about Moses and described him as the man who was called the friend of God. And David is the one whom God calls the man after his own heart. It would seem rather odd that David would be considered such a man based on the fact that he had committed such a gross sin, as we will deal with, you all know, in committing adultery with uh, Bathsheba. But let us look at what God has to say, not formulate our own opinions as to how God looks upon, upon any person. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, we find here the conversation that Samuel has with Saul, who was the king, and then go into what God has to say about David. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which was the Lord, that which the Lord commanded thee. Without going into a lot of the background on Saul, that would take longer than we have any need to deal with this evening, you may remember that Saul was appointed the king and lost his kingship. And it's very interesting for me to note in this verse 13 that God says to Saul, I am going to take your kingship away from you and give it to somebody else. But Notice that had Saul acted properly, had Saul been the man that he could have been, God would have established Saul as the king of Israel forever. But it was taken away from him and is to be given to another person, whom we know now is David. It points out, I think, very dramatically, that if we're not willing to do what God has called us to do, he'll take it away from us and give it to somebody else who will. He has given us the task to perform. And I have mine, you have yours. If you don't fit into God's pattern and plan, 
Refuse to do that which he has appointed you to do. Don't think that the work's going to go undone. He'll simply take that responsibility away from you and give it to somebody else who will. This is exactly what he did with Saul. Took it away from him. And Saul and Samuel says that in verse 14 that the kingdom of Saul will not continue and the Lord is going to look. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. That's what God's looking for. A man after his own heart in whom he can depend and that will be the person that will uh, perpetuate the kingdom of Israel forever, the beginning of it forever. I'm reminded of that time in David's life, you find the 16th chapter of this very same book. When God said to Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. Jesse happens to be a shepherd, poor man, who lives just outside Bethlehem. I want you to go there and anoint the next king. Jesse had eight sons. Seven of them were paraded before for Samuel, for him to make his selection. God rejected them all. In the seventh verse of the 16th chapter, the Lord makes an explanation to Samuel as to why he has rejected these men. Many of them looked like fine candidates, and Samuel looked upon at least one. He looked, thought he surely would be the one that God would anoint, and and God says to Samuel in verse 7, The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord, here's the part I want you to notice, The Lord seeth not as man seeth. The man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. You know, we're very prone to condemn people or what they appear to us to be. We're very easy to condemn. We'll find somebody and he doesn't fit the pattern of things like we think that a person ought to be, particularly Christian, and we start saying, well, if, if he's acting like that, he surely is not a Christian or she. And we start picking out all these things that are wrong, and we accuse this person, look, if you do that, you surely are not living the Christian life. If you do that, if you do that, if you do that. We always pick those things that we don't do. You know, it's not very common for us to condemn somebody for the same sin that we participate in. To let him do a sin that we don't believe in, or we don't do, or we have never done. And brother, that's a biggie. You know, it's like the lady who sat on the back pew. I'm not referring to one, two, three, any of you four who are back there. The preacher was preaching about uh, uh, the sin of alcohol. And he was really lambasting those who drank alcohol. And this woman kept yelling, Amen! Amen! 
And he got on to smoking, and she yelled, Amen, Amen. She had a little dribble of stuff. Running, you know, you've seen people who rub stuff, a little dribble. And he said, and stuff. And she said, uh-oh, he's done quit preaching and going to meddling. <laughs> That's what we do too many times. We consider it meddling when it gets into our sin. And here Samuel had looked at these men, and he said, God, this is a great man. He ought to be the next king. And God said, don't look at his external appearance. Don't take him for what you see in him. I don't look at his externals. I look at his heart. When you know a man's heart, you know a man or a woman. When you look at the external, you don't know too much about that person. All we know is what we see, but God knows what we are. And God said to Samuel in selecting the king, don't look on the outward appearance. Look on the heart. How is the heart? Now granted, our heart ought to dictate what we look like externally. And we certainly ought to pattern our external life, and that's what I tried to say this morning, after what our heart is. And if our heart is right, so will our externals be right. But there are those times when man falls and falters and does things that are wrong, and God is able to see the difference, whereas man can't see the difference. I want to look at David real quickly. I want, to, I want to look at several things in his life. Number one, I want you to look, look at him as a warrior, as a musician, as a saint, as a sinner, and as a prophet. And I want us to look at his character a little bit. First of all, look about him being a warrior. Now, the story behind that, you'll find it in 1 Samuel 17th chapter, is that the Philistines had a mighty army opposing the Israelites. And uh, David had been sent out to inquire about three of his brothers who were in the army and how they were doing. And when he got out there, just as a young lad, they found out that there, he found out that there was a huge man of the Philistines that would come out every day and throw out a challenge. Great, huge, giant, covered with armor. And he offered to fight one man, and whichever man would win, then that would be the winning army. The others would, would agree to, be, to succumb. And uh, David went out there and said, what's going on? And they explained to David, just a young boy, that, that there was this big giant out there that was giving this this challenge, and there's nobody brave enough to, to conquer it. And, and David went out and looked him over and he said, I'll fight him. First thing Saul did was put his armor on him. Of course, Saul was a huge man. David was a young lad. And it weighed down, and David said, I'm going to take this stuff off. I can't fight with this. But what did he do? He goes over, probably to a little brook somewhere, and he selects some little stones. And he takes his slingshot. He goes out 
to meet the giant. An impossible task. The giant laughs at him. But the little guy is not scared. Tells the giant that he is a believer in God. God has sent him out. God will follow through. He takes that smooth stone and he slingshots, which is one of those we're all not like the ones with the fork and sticks that I have accustomed to. And of course, you know, he hit the giant right in the vulnerable spot in his forehead where he wasn't covered with armor, killed him, took the huge sword out of the sheet of the giant, cut his head off. David became a boy of tremendous reputation. The giant's lair. He was taken into the home of, of Saul and there lived for a long time. And as the years went by, David went out to war, became a mighty warrior. And the women began to sing when Saul came back and David came back from battle. They began to sing that Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousands. He became a man with the reputation of being a mighty warrior. This got in David's way. In that David, over in uh, the First Chronicles, if you want to, if you want to turn over there, just turn right until you get the First Chronicles, which is over a little bit. I think there's something interesting that we need to see. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second. Chapter 28. I'm going fast through the life of David, as you can well see. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king, by course, and the captains over the thousands, and captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substances and possessions of the king, and all his sons with the officers and with the mighty men, with all the valiant men and unto Jerusalem. In other words, he called a tremendous gathering of anybody that was anybody. He called them together because he had an announcement to make. Verse 2, he's king now. Uh, we've jumped way over in his life. He's king. And David the king stood up on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and hath made ready for the building. David had in mind that he was going to build the temple. This was in his mind. I had in mind to build the house of rest, he calls it here. Verse 3, but, whenever you see the word but, you can understand that something is going to change. What God said unto me, Thou shalt not build in the house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. The person who was to build the house for God was not going to be a warrior. God would not accept that. So David did not get to build the temple. Let's go on with his life. David was a musician. Musician, one who played musical instruments, one who wrote hymns, 
that was sung by the church, by the, I shouldn't say the church, by the, in the synagogues and in the temples, by the Hebrew people. In the house of David, the only way that they could soothe this angry man, and the house of Saul, I should say, and the only way they could soothe this angry man was for David to play hard. He played music for Saul, settled, his, uh, settled him down. He was a raven maniac at times, but David's music was settling down. There is something about music in a worship service that has vital importance. It gets a person settled down, ready to listen to God speak. And oftentimes they'll even speak through, through music. Uh, all, the book of Psalms, that we read so often, the Old Testament, was the Old Testament hymn book. They sang those. I can't imagine how they got some of them put to music. But they sang many of them that David wrote and other people wrote. Music has had an important place in worship for many, many thousands of years. And we certainly have it as a part of our service lady came in to a service late one day and, and sat down and whispered to the person next to her, have I missed anything yet? And the lady said, no, the preaching hasn't started. Listen, there's more to a worship service than preaching. We don't simply do the things that we do in the early portion of the service leading up to the sermon just to have something to do. It's designed to bring a person to a point where their minds and hearts are ready to receive God's Word. It has an important place to play. Sometimes we disrupt that, and I, I, would, I would hope that we could, could get out of that practice, but, but it's, we, we do it. I, I do it, and you do it, and I suppose. Uh, we happen to think of something that we didn't get said, or an announcement that we need to make, or something of that nature, and sometimes that really disrupts someone's mind from from being prepared to receive the word. But David was a person who soothed the minds and hearts in music, and it became such an important place in the life of people. Let's go on quickly to talk about David as a saint. We have already pointed out in our text that God was looking for a man after his own heart, somebody that God could accept, and he found that person in David, he was a man who loved God and served him. He went out to slay the giant because he loved God. In 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5, we have some other words that are very important. When the Lord said, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, Save, that means except, only in the manner of Uriah the Hittite. The scripture says that David did right in the eyes of the Lord, with one exception. He faltered. I think we all have our exceptions, whatever they might be, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But David was looked upon by God through his own heart, who did things that were right. And I wonder, as we read those words, could we insert our own name 
could you put yours there and could I put mine there where it says because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Could we say that? That you and I did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord? I hope that we could with the allowance that we also could make the exception that was made in David, except in a certain instrument. Perhaps we could be there. We have our failings. But David was a righteous man whom God loved. Over in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, tells us what God expects of his people. A very important two verses. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. And now Israel, what doth thy God, the Lord thy God, require of thee? What does God really require of you? What does he want out of me and out of you? What is it he really, the bottom line, what does he want? And here we're given what he wants. What does the Lord thy God require thee but to fear the Lord thy God? The word fear means love, in this case. To walk in all of his ways, to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I have commanded this, this day for thy good. The Ten Commandments are given for our good, not for our detriment, but for our good. The Lord is expecting of us we walk in his life we've been talking for First John. And David did this. That's what he requires of us. Now, David had an exception. He didn't always walk straight and narrow. He fell off the wagon. Everybody has their weaknesses. And we must be careful that we do not condemn somebody for their weakness because we're going to have one that they can condemn us for as well. We must all recognize that we're all sinners, but we have been saved by grace. But we still have those areas in our lives, whether they be tremendous problems or minor problems to us, where we do not do as we ought to do. David was a righteous man, except in the area of sex. He was on his rooftop and looked over on the next rooftop and there was a woman taking a bath in broad daylight on top of the roof. David didn't cover his eyes and look the other way. Neither did she cover herself to keep him from looking. They both sinned. In this area, David became a great sinner. She was the wife of Uriah, a Hittite, who was one of the leaders in David's army. Her name was Bathsheba. And he called and sent his servants over and had her brought over to his house. And you remember that she finally became pregnant. Now David was in a difficult situation. And he decided that he would try to do.
do something that would detract from his guilt and place the responsibility for her pregnancy on her own husband. And so he had him brought in from battle, and but the problem was he didn't spend the night with her. He refused to go to bed with her. So the only thing left to do was have Uriah killed. And he was placed in the heat of battle and did die. And then the old prophet Nathan comes to David on one occasion after David thought he had covered up everything. And and Nathan gave him a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're not going to read it, but I want to tell you what it is. Nathan said, David, we've got a problem. There is a rich man and a poor man in your kingdom. The rich man has lots of livestock, lots of, of uh, sheep. And the poor man has one little ewe lamb. The rich man had some company come, and he went over and took the lamb of the poor man and killed it and fed it as a feast to his guests. And David became extremely angry. He said, anybody that do that ought to be put to death. He's going to have to restore several fold that which he has taken. Nathan looks him straight in the eye and says, David, you're the man. Sometimes we have to be jolted into recognizing our sin and be looked at straight in the eye and declare, I'm guilty. That's exactly what happened to David. Now, if you found 2 Samuel chapter 12, there are some words in it that are very important. Verse 13. This is what makes David a great man. Not that he sinned, but that he sinned and confessed his sin. All of us will sin. The question is, are we man and woman enough to acknowledge that we have done it and ask for forgiveness? Here's where we fall short in general. I hope you recognize I'm speaking in general terms. We like to sweep it under the rug and pretend as if it didn't happen. We like to go on as if we are the the saint that we have depicted ourselves to be. And David certainly could have denied all of this, but he could not escape the condemnation that had been placed upon him. And David said in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Important words. We talked about the fact that David wrote many of the Psalms. If you want to go over a minute, I think you ought to turn to this. Psalm 32. I'm going to look at two Psalms just a moment. David was a hymn writer. He wrote these words, but these Songs that he wrote reflected his own experience. I want you to look and see if you don't think that he probably was talking about his sin and his confession in Psalm 32 when he said, 
Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Did you hear those words? What could David be talking about except the gross sin that he had committed of immorality and then of murder to cover it up? David confesses, I have been forgiven. Blessed is he that is forgiven. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I confess that he said, I acknowledge it. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And what happened? Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Isn't that tremendous? That here is a man, that's why he's a man after God's own heart. He was a man big enough to acknowledge that he had sinned and ask forgiveness for it. And know that once he asked forgiveness, God gave it. I confess and God forgave, he said. By the way, the end of verse 5, where you see the word selah, that's not to be pronounced. That is a musical mark of some sort. And over the years, nobody's quite figured out what that mark really meant. That's not a word to be read. That's, that's a musical mark that has, has been left right in our, in our text. All right. Go to chapter uh, Psalm 51 for just a moment. And we'll notice some other words that are vital, important. In another psalm that David wrote, and this appears to be that which he wrote in asking for God's forgiveness. Psalm 51, verse 4 verses. We need to hear. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. He prayed that God would forgive him. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou justest. All right, we'll stop reading of those psalms. But see how David pours out his heart unto God and begs God's forgiveness. By the way, uh, the child that was born of this union out of wedlock did not live long. Just a short while and he died. And we'll not to deal with that tonight. I'd like also for us to think a bit about David being a prophet. Probably there is nobody in the New Testament that is quoted more from the Old Testament than David. David is quoted over and over and over again. A tremendous man who has given us such uh, a tremendous volume of delightful things to think about. No wonder he was a man after God's own heart. We go back to him over and over and over again for a personal relationship with God. He was a holy man that was moved by the Holy Spirit and gave us such tremendous guidance. When we read his psalms, we've got to realize that he was speaking from his own personal experience, and particularly these two that we read. He's begging for God's forgiveness, but he doesn't stop there. He points out that God did forgive, that God was merciful. 
Now, if God can forgive the gross sin of immorality and murder, such as David did, surely it falls within our hearts and minds to forgive other people of similar and different things as well. Whatever it might be, we're not to hold grudges and be spiteful against somebody who doesn't measure up to our standard. That does not give that person an excuse to sin. Not at all. God still holds him responsible. And God will deal with that individual like he dealt with David. And someday, somebody's going to point out to that person, you are guilty. Then that person's going to have to go to God because he cannot hide it any longer. Thank for God's forgiveness. Well, lastly, let's talk about his character just a little bit. There's so many things that could be said about his character that we don't have time to do. One of the things about that, the stories that come from David's life that reflects his character, and I only want to use two tonight, one dealt with the friendship that he had with Jonathan, who was uh, Saul's son. Jonathan and David became very, very close friends, loved each other dearly. We have that story of tremendous friendship. That reflects what God is like. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because David developed a closeness with somebody who could have and should have, by all rights, been his enemy. But they were tremendous friends. Neither one of these boys, Jonathan or David, ever allowed the hatred that Saul had for David to come between them. And they loved each other desperately. Well, Jonathan had a son whose name was Wait till I say it. I'm going to say it. Mephibosheth. I think I got it right. I'm glad none of you named your kids that. To make a long story short, the boy was dropped by his nurse when he was a baby. He became a cripple. When David became king, one of the things that was always done when a rival person came and took the kingship was that all of the family of the former king was put to death. I want you to see the character of David in that he had such compassion even upon Saul himself that many times he refused to execute him when he could have. And after the whole thing was over and he was on the throne he took this young lad into his own home and saw to it that he was cared for. He sat with David at his own dining table every day. Would you take the grandson of your worst enemy and bring him into your home and seat him at your table? But David did. That's the kind of man he was. No wonder God called him a man after his own heart. Because that's what God did. God loved the people responsible for the death of his own son so much. He brought us into his family.
and made us not just sit at his table, but made us his own children and gave us a position in his kingdom to be a joint heir with his own son. You talk about love. And David demonstrated this kind of love as much as a human being could be. Now let me close with just make some notations of the type of person David was in comparison to Christ. You know that uh, Bethlehem was called the city of David. That's where David was from. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem. That, uh, that was the, the, the hometown of both Jesus and David. You know that Jesus is called the son of David. In that line, both from Joseph's line and from Mary's line, go all the way back to David. They both were born into families of very low estate, very poor people. They both were shepherds. David was a shepherd of sheep, but Jesus was a shepherd of people. They were both oppressed. People sought to kill both of them. They both were kings. David was appointed king. Jesus was born king. Tremendous man who set in motion those things that would make Israel a nation through whom Christ, his great, 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 so many grandsons down the line would become your Savior and mine. I don't know as he would be the greatest man in the Old Testament. I think Moses was the greatest. And I would have difficulty deciding between Abraham and David as the next great man of the Old Testament. I think I would put David as number two. But you could argue me out of that with Abraham very easily. Tremendous man. But why was he so tremendous? Not because he was any different than you and me. He was just a common, ordinary man who grew up with God had his hand on him. And it really concerns that we sometimes probably have God's hand directly on us. We shrug it off and don't realize that he has selected you or me, a man or a woman, after his own heart to do a task. Are we going to take it? Or are we going to give it up like Saul did? not have the opportunity of being that person for a given time in the history of the world. In our own little part of it, here in Turtle Creek or wherever we might live, here in this church, in your family or in mine, we are the man or the woman, the boy or girl, whose hand is on us, destined perform something because we are people like God has called. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.